Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast, who is in my home, is my friend Brooke Anderson. Welcome to the podcast, Brooke. Thanks, Richard. Will you spell your last name? Anderson can be spelled a few different ways. Will you spell it for us? Yeah, it's S-O-N, so A-N-D-E-R-S-O-N. And um, Brooke is a master's student at BYU working on a linguistics degree with hopes to become a professor. Um, She's got to get a PhD on that road, and she is going to tell her story as a lesbian Latter-day Saint. Um, By way of background, she grew up um, north of Atlanta in Georgia. It's warmer there than it is right here, as we're recording this in December. She has an undergraduate degree from BYU in English language and editing, if I've got that right. Right. Served a mission to Tucson, Arizona, Spanish-speaking, came home at the end of 2017. And she's just going to share her story. Her story includes a marriage. that lasted a short period of time. That would be part of her story. Um, she's also the author of a book called Through My Lens. It's a story of her journey as a lesbian Latter-day Saint. It's available at Barnes & Noble. It just came out at the beginning of 2022. We'll provide a link in the show notes to, uh, to purchase this book if you'd like to read it. My guess is it's a very well-written book, very insightful. But our joint hope is that if you're LGBTQ, that the things that Brooke shares with you will help you to feel more hope, principles to connect you with your heavenly parents, thoughts about your future and how best to do that. And also if you're a parent or a local leader, that hearing Brooke's story will give you insights to better support, understand, provide compassion, and help LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. Is that okay for an introduction, Brooke? Yeah, that's great. So. Um, we're just going to dive in, listeners. We don't have sponsor announcements or a lot of like stuff. We just try to get right to the story. So I'm going to ask a question. When was the first time you knew you were attracted to women? Honestly, the answer to that is hard because I was so ashamed of any feelings I had that I never wrote anything down. There's no journal entries. Um, but I remember... Gosh, I was in Young Women's, um, probably 12 or 14 years old. My bishop was talking to us about being sexually pure. And I asked him, how would I know if I was lesbian? And his answer was, you know, do you have any um, sexual inclinations towards women? And at that time, I didn't know what sex was. (laughs) So I said no. Um, And... Partly because of that and partly because of what I knew about being lesbian, I thought it all had to do with your sexual inclination. And I never liked the idea of sex. And so I just assumed that, you know, I liked women. They're beautiful. And that was kind of normal. Um, and then I was with one of my friends and, you know, sharing rooms. You, um, she was getting ready for something and she asked if I mind that she was changing in front of me and I realized I did because she was gorgeous <laughs> honest yeah um and then um later so I um as Richard mentioned I did have a short marriage and um during that I was in the psych ward for a little bit um and it was there that I really came to terms with my orientation 
um, because I was talking to another girl in the psych ward about one of my friends again, and we were sharing poetry. And she says, you know, all of your poems seem to be about the same person. Is that true? And I said, yes. And she said, well, they seem more passionate than the way you've talked about anything else. Can you show me a picture of this person? And I pulled it up and we were swiping through and I went, isn't she hot? And she looks at me and she's like, are you thinking what I'm thinking? Because I think I know something you know. (laughs) And that's when I went, yeah, I think you're right. Um, thanks for being so brave just to share so much of what you just shared. How, how old were you when you um, had that some of these experiences, just to give us more context? Yeah. So, I mean, I mentioned the conversation with my bishop. I was pretty young. Um, and then the rest of them weren't until college, so probably in the last two or three years. Okay. Um, Let's next question is how did you how did it make you feel when you realized you're attracted to women? Um, like I said at first, I thought that maybe it was normal. Um, but it was when I started to realize that it wasn't normal. Um, that I mean, I mentioned I was pretty ashamed of those feelings. And honestly, I was afraid. I was kind of terrified because I'd built my life around the idea that. I would get married and I would have kids and that's kind of what you grow up expecting and realizing that that probably wasn't my future was, was sad and scary. That's really honest. Um, I've been asking another question and I may come back to some of these things you're sharing. When do you decide you're going to tell people? Cause here you're processing this all and you've, you know, talk about coming out and, being willing to tell people? Um, so I mentioned my short marriage and I was in the psych ward. Um, and um, it was while I was in the psych ward that my husband and I, we decided mutually to get an annulment. And it was after that, that it almost necessitated my coming out to certain people because it helped to explain my situation a lot. Um, and so the first people I told were my parents and my husband. Um, and then I told just a very, very few friends. Um, but I wasn't sure that I wanted to tell others because for the longest time I was worried that, you know, what if I'm not actually lesbian? What if I just think I am? What if I can change? And if I told other people, it would ruin my chances of dating, of marriage. And I wasn't sure if I wanted to close that door yet. Um, in fact, I remember having a conversation with a friend uh, long before I came out. It was while I was in college, though. And we talked about the hypothetical, if you were gay, would you tell someone? And the conclusion we came to after a long conversation was no. <laughs> um, but the more I came out, the more peace and the more relief I felt. Um, and it really helped with those feelings of shame. And so I started telling more and more friends. And as people were supportive of that, um, that's when I realized that I really needed to be open about who I was. Any thoughts? And this is a sub question why you felt more peace and less shame coming out? Um, I think that. God gives us peace 
when we're living truth. And um, I realized that lesbian defines more than, you know, who I'm attracted to. Um, It's really been a part of my journey and who I am. And being able to share that also helps others to share their story. And there's a lot of comfort in that. Um, Thank you for that answer. Talk about your ward support as you start to come out, because it sounds like um, your ward becomes aware of this. Yeah. So the first people I told were some friends from my ward and uh, my Relief Society president. And I was kind of amazed at how calmly they took it. I almost wanted something more (laughs) like a lightning flash. (laughs) Um, And they just seemed like, okay what about it? (laughs) Um, but they were, they were really great to talk to. And, um, after my annulment and coming out, I did struggle a little with the church and they were just always there. Um, and they, they would share their testimonies. They would show how much they loved the church and God and me, but I never felt pressured by them. And talk a little bit about, do you bring this up proactively or do you does it just come up natural, the fact you're lesbian? Um, I, at first, I, I definitely didn't bring it up proactively. Um, and I never liked the idea of sharing it in um, big public spaces or at meetings. Um, so the first time I shared it at church was a shock to me as much as it was to the audience. Um, I prefer to just let it come up naturally when, it, when it's applicable. This is a tangent question. Some women take on the label gay, some same-sex attraction, SSA, and some lesbian. Mm-hmm. Just share with our <laughs> listeners why you've taken on the lesbian label. And I don't mean that yeah. like a negative. And I'm not trying to say one label's more authentic or less authentic. It's just share with our listeners why you that label works best for you. Um, that's actually a really interesting question because... Um, For a long time, I was kind of opposed to the lesbian label. (laughs) Um, And it's because I did a study abroad in the UK. And my last day in London was Pride Day. And I didn't know that until I was already out on the tube and wandering the streets. And it was packed and crazy. And... um, I ended up in the center of it because I needed to go to a certain store that was right at the center of the pride parade and all of the celebration. And I was a little bit appalled, to be honest, (laughs) Um, just because the culture there and sometimes around gay lesbian can be, um, well, most people were drunk or on their way getting there pretty quickly, um, scantily clothed, and it was loud and I just thought, you know what? I can never identify with this community. Um, And then after I came out, I got to know so many wonderful lesbian people. I got to know the community at BYU. And um, so at first I used the the term same-sex attracted. And I changed to lesbian because same-sex attracted seemed so oriented around a sexual orientation. And for me, I mean... Being lesbian is so much more than just sex or attraction. I wanted to get that whole culture and that whole persona of who I am. Great answer. Um, Didn't surprise me you'd put some thought into this. (laughs) 
Um, so thanks for sharing that. Here's our next question. We kind of have an outline, listeners, so um, we're trying to follow the outline, but sometimes we kind of get on tangents. So um, what would you say to someone in your situation, even in the church when people come out, there are far fewer people that come out as lesbian than men that come out as gay. So a lot of women who are lesbian are afraid to come out. Yeah, at first, um, I was afraid to come out as well, and I think I've mentioned that, and I Definitely didn't want to come out in church. Um, But what helped me most, other than the personal peace and acceptance I felt coming out, was realizing how it could help others. Um, So after I came out, um, I went back to the ward I'd been going to, even though I'd moved locations. And so eventually the bishop that was in my geographical location invited me to come to his ward. And he invited me to come meet with him. And I told him a little bit of my story. And I asked him, is there anyone in this ward like me? And he thought for a minute and said, no, I I don't think so. And um, six months later, I finally said something about it in Relief Society. And afterwards, I had at least six girls come up to me and say, you know, I'm lesbian too. Or, hey, like my friend is lesbian. or we have this group and we meet together. And I thought, why didn't I know about this? And why didn't the bishop know about this? And I realized, well, Brooke, he, no one knew about you. And so likely they were in the same situation. And so that's when I decided that I wanted to speak out. Um, and the more I did, the more um, I realized I wasn't alone. Um, I like that. Um, vulnerability brings vulnerability. And when you're brave and open and honest, then other people can be honest with you. And it, straight and LGBTQ, they just know you're a safe person. And obviously, for the other lesbian women in your ward, they knew they could talk to you about that part of themselves as well as share stories. Right. Sometimes we um, we tend to think that we're alone because we're waiting for other people to come to us or we're waiting to know there's others like us. And sometimes if we're the first to open up, then other people can come to us. And I wonder if local leaders can be proactive and sort of give air cover, not waiting for someone to come out, but just give air cover <laughs> to say, this is how we, I would respond as a local leader, a release study president, elders, corn president, a young woman's leader. A bishop, if somebody in my ward told this, told me they were LGBTQ or queer, and and just to create a culture proactively, so if someone with the assumption that I think is true that there are queer people in every LDS congregation, um, tell me about tell our listeners about your faith journey, Brooke. Did accepting your identity change your relationship with God or with the church? Um, yeah, so. It was especially hard because I felt that God had led me to a marriage. And then that obviously didn't work out. Um, And my honest reaction was I felt a little hoodwinked. Um, I went, you know, God, I've, I've done everything right, or I've tried to, and it didn't work. Um, And I struggled a lot with my patriarchal blessing 
for a little while um, because that does talk about a family. Um, I think the hardest thing for me was um, Doctrine and Covenants section 131, where we're told that in order to obtain the highest glory, we have to enter into the new and everlasting covenant of marriage. Um, And I kind of went, okay, so even if I do everything right, I can't obtain the highest glory. And not even I can't, but in some way I don't want to because I'm not really sure I want to do marriage again. Um, And I thought, well, if my best isn't enough, then I'm out. (laughs) And so for a while, I mean, I was still a BYU student. I still went to church, but mentally, emotionally, I was completely checked out. Um, And I was pretty angry at God. I remember the the summer after I I got my annulment, I was talking to one of my friends and I just spilled all of the reasons I was angry at God and angry at the church and all of my frustrations and all the things I didn't understand. And um, it was probably an hour and a half long rant. And afterward, I just felt this overwhelming love. And I muted my phone and I told her, I'll call you back because I was so afraid of losing that moment. Um, And it was kind of annoying because I thought, I can't get away from you, God. (laughs) Can't can't you just get angry? Um, And I realized that part of it was so he could show me his love. And part of it was to say, I don't care what you have to say to me or about me. Just keep talking because I'm here. Um, And that made it hard to leave um, because deep down I knew that God loved me and I knew that this was his church. Um, But there was a lot to work through and a lot that I still don't understand. Um, It's been a slow process. and as for the church, there are definitely things that still frustrate me. Um, one point, my friend asked me if I was going to leave the church. And I said, if I can be leaning away from the church and still lean towards God, then I think I'm okay right now. <laughs> um, and honestly, this I don't want this to sound blasphemous, but I had to separate God from the church as the cultural establishment for a while. Um, And to really see things a little more critically. Um, And I think there's a difference between thinking critically and criticizing. Um, Part of thinking critically for me is to be able to discern what is doctrinal application and what is cultural practice and principle. And also the ability to wrestle with the things that I don't agree with. Because I realize that my reaction to something doesn't determine its truth. And so I had to step back and examine my faith and say, is this something I want to be a part of? And ultimately, my answer was yes. Um, And I think it was actually a really good experience for me because for a long time, I didn't like going to church. And so I had to ask myself, why am I going? And I think I learned to actually gain a better relationship with Christ and God through church is I had to examine my reasons for being there and who they were and 
what I wanted out of, out of life and out of the gospel. That's a beautiful segment, Brooke. <laughs> you could do a whole podcast on that segment. You just shortened an hour into like five <laughs> minutes, but that was beautiful. And I love um, you being angry at God. I think God can handle that. <laughs> I think and he I can. love your friend that just let you for an hour and a half. And then you felt the spirit in the probably an unlikely moment because here you're being angry at God, but yet you felt the spirit at the end of that experience. And I think that's an insight in how God feels about us and um, that he knows life is really difficult at times, but he wants us to keep the communication channel open and you felt his love. And I love, I look at this as um, sometimes a friend of mine call it falling forward. Um, I really so like that term. <laughs> is So a faith crisis, we sometimes look as a setback or we look at this as a negative experience where you're sort of figuring out how it's going to work for the church. But to me, this is falling forward, a positive um, development or a positive step in your journey um, and the things you're learning and I love you at separating God from the culture of the church and render, you, you have some really beautiful vocabulary here where you talk about what is doctrinal application, what is cultural practice. That's a fascinating distinction you made in that last segment, doctrinal application versus cultural practice. You could do a whiteboard in Sunday school and, <laughs> and have um, class participants sort of put what's on one side and what's on the other. And just the thoughtful journey and friends that walked with you on this road and gave you permission to sort of feel this way and didn't maybe give you simple answers to but minimize the complexity of your situation. So that's a great segment. <clears throat> I'd speaking love to, to go ahead. Oh, sorry. Um, speaking to friends that walked with me. Um, I mean, there, I mentioned there was a time where I was pretty checked out. And I mentioned to a friend that I wasn't actually sure if I was going to stay when I left BYU. And I'm kind of grateful that um, I couldn't really leave while I was at BYU without some repercussions because it, it made me really think um, and not just act impulsively. But I loved this friend's response. He said, Brooke, I want you to stay in the church because I know the gospel is true and will help you. But especially while you're here at BYU and in Provo, the church is your community and you're going to have a gap. So if you decide to leave, I want to go with you to any church, any organization wow. until you find a community. Um, and that just, it really helped me to realize that um, the choice was mine. My friends were there, but there was a lot of at stake as well. Okay, that put tears in my eyes. Yeah. <laughs> when you talk about unconditional friends that'll walk with you on the road that you feel is best, let you sort of, sort of self-determine that without agenda and say, I'll walk with you because I care about you and I love you and I want you to be healthy and happy. Yeah, I've been really blessed. Um, what is the reason you stayed in the church? If you've, I'd love you just to explain that a little bit more. Um. I mentioned that I had this time to kind of step back and really ask myself the question of um, why, why do I want to stay? Um, and during this time, 
um, I'd gone to some counseling and they mentioned that I should um, attend kind of a support group. So they set me up with a group, Reconciling Faith and Sexuality um, at BYU. And so it was a bunch of BYU students um, and they were all in the lesbian gay community. And um, what I found is it was a really more of a reconciling sexuality group. I'm not to discount any faith that they had, but a lot of them were um, getting ready to leave the church and they were very set on that path. Um, and I started to feel like, you know, maybe I was alone. How many people do stay and how many people leave? Um, and that kind of goes back to, to wanting a community. Um, and speaking of community, um, you know, the scriptures say you shall know them by their fruits. And I had to ask myself, who do I want to be? And all of my good examples were my family and my friends who were strong Christians. And I knew that they were the people that they were and the people that I wanted to be like because of their faith. And um, honestly, that was what put me back on track. I just said, you know what? I want to be like them. And that means accepting their faith. Um, but ultimately, it was because of the experiences that I had um, with God and the experiences that I've had with His church all growing up. Um, it was something that was hard to leave. Um, I mentioned the one experience where God showed His love after <laughs> I kind of railed on Him. Um, and a few months later, I called one of my friends and I told her, you know what? I'm done. I'm done living. I'm ready to go. And um, she talked to me for quite a while and made me promise to meet her the next morning for ice cream because ice cream for breakfast is how you handle hard things. <laughs> um, and the next morning we were talking and I told her how angry I was at God. She said, there's something you should know then. My phone was on do not disturb. Your call should not have gone through. Um, and just so many experiences like that where I knew that God was there for me. Um, but the last point I want to bring up is that um, I had to trust God. I had to trust others. But I also had to trust myself. Um, and at a really, really low point, I was listening to a conference talk. And I was just struggling because I was wondering what heaven would be like for people in my situation where marriage isn't so enticing. And I thought back to the pre-mortal existence and I thought, you know, I likely knew then that I was lesbian or I was going to be, we don't know if this is an eternal characteristic. Um, and I knew what was at stake and what was necessary for my exaltation. And I still decided to come to earth. And I'm a competitive person who likes to win. And I would not have come to earth if I didn't know then that whatever was in store afterward was worth it. That's cool. Um, and sometimes I find LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, because of our understanding of the plan of salvation, do have 
I don't like to say they have better perspective than other Christians, but it gives them um, just what you said isn't possible, perhaps, for people outside of the, the revealed doctrine of the plan of salvation and in the context of a pre-mortal life, this mortal life, and a post-mortal life that gives context or more understanding. Because what you said is really powerful. And when you put it in the that you chose to come here and you're a competitive person and that spirit that <laughs> came with you is the spirit that was there. That's really terrific and very hopeful and healing for others. Um, practically speaking, we're talking, BYU is sort of at the forefront of the intersection of the LDS church and LGBTQ. Practically speaking, what efforts could BYU currently make that would make you feel your voice more heard? What changes could be made in BYU singles wards and in the church. And often what happens at BYU can then be scaled church-wide. So I've always kind of looked to BYU um, as potentially um, whatever happens there in a positive way could be scaled church-wide. Um, well, speaking of scaling church-wide, um, at, um, at BYU in a singles ward, um, there's a lot of talk on dating and I'm not saying that's bad um, because marriage is a wonderful thing for most people and it's part of God's plan, I believe. Um, but I was talking with my, my two friends. One of them was in the We Society presidency and one of them was in the elders quorum and we were having a fun conversation and they said, wouldn't it be fun if we could have an elder teach Release Society and a Release Society sister teach elders quorum? And I said, yeah, but what would they talk about? And of course, the instant response was dating. And I said, you know, that sounds fun. But if I go to church and the lesson is on dating, I'm going to walk out. Because I go to church to learn about Christ and God and to get closer to them. Um, and so I think in the church, um, maybe even worldwide, that some talk on marriage is essential. Um, but when we focus on it um, kind of out of scale, um, it can really push some people away. Um, as for BYU specifically, um, I think there are ways that it could offer more opportunities for people to express themselves and be heard. Um, a lot of people are afraid to associate with this community. And when they don't have the opportunity to express themselves or when they try to and it's silenced, um, it's very off-putting. Um, and I can think of just two examples. Um, I think it was a year or two ago when a bunch of students um, lit the Y in rainbow colors. Um, and then there were a lot of students that were chalking the block south of BYU with um, just pro-lesbian, pro-gay um, quotes and sayings. And for someone in that community, those, I talk about it in my book, those moments were monumental. Um, I was really feeling alone at that time. And so it kind of hurt when BYU's only response was to say that, you know, they weren't affiliated with these actions or that these actions weren't approved. Um, and I think they missed a really good opportunity to offer those students a chance to to speak um, and talk about why they did what they did and especially why they felt the need to. 
Um, if you have students who are doing this, it's because they feel that they don't belong and they are trying their best. And I think that that should be acknowledged and validated um, in every way we can. I really like that. And um, there's a lot of tension at BYU over this issue. And I, I'm hoping that this becomes um, the safest place for LGBTQ Latter-day Saints and some of your hopes and dreams become reality. Some people will say, well, if you don't like BYU, just leave. And I've, I recognize that's not really very helpful because <laughs> LGBTQ people love BYU. And there's so much good there. They want to be a part of that. And if this part of their experience there could be better, let's don't just, you know, that does not helpful. That's a, I think we're called to be gatherers and not sifters. And that just adds to LGBTQ burden that they're not feel welcome there by um, as they do their best to express their feelings and create safety. Um, I also think that we need to create a culture where we're complete unmarried. I think growing up, um, we create a culture that I'll be complete once I get married, once I have a family, once I have a degree. And I think all of those are wonderful, but everybody's path's going to be a little different. So I, when you talked about what you'd love the elders corn president <laughs> or the elder in the release society, you hit the nail on the head. In my opinion, you talked about the gospel of Jesus Christ and coming into Christ. And that to me, is something that's within our control. And so feeling complete to me is our relationship with Christ, something that's in our control and something where our self-worth should be grounded in. And some of these other things that may be without, um, not within um, the reach of being able to be possible in our lives, such as marriage, um, when a culture creates worth around that, then it creates dissidence. And you've obviously felt some of that. And so it's a way to improve. And you, you bring up a, a good point. A lot of times, especially when we're young, I feel like um, we're told to establish good practices so that we'll have them for our children and for our husbands or wives in our home. Um, like if you read scriptures now, you'll, you'll read them to your children. Um, if you pray, you'll have a hotter husband. Um, I'm sure you've heard that one before. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and I mean, it's fine to, to emphasize that you do want to establish these good practices with a family and in your home. But I think also emphasizing that we're, we're doing it for ourselves and for our relationship with God as well. Do you want to talk about redefining our language? Um, um, and some of these last bullet points. Yeah. Um, so I, I've recently finished reading um, Ben Shalotti's book, A Walk in My Shoes, which I recommend to everyone. Um, but he, he mentions um, the need to redefine our language. And specifically, um, when we say, you know, it's okay to be lesbian, it's okay to be gay, as long as you don't act on it. Um, and he talks about how we don't use that terminology in a heterosexual relationship. Um, we say, you know, did you kiss? Did you hold hands? Um, and generally we're excited about it. Um, and not acting on it is not only vague, um, but it makes you seem guilty for any sort of um, interaction you do to demonstrate your love, 
for the other person and how if we moved away from that um, negative language, then we could really talk about those relationships, talk to people in those relationships in a healthier way. Love that. Um, when someone opens up to you, thoughts um, on what you can do? Um, if someone opens up to you, that's your chance to really engage them. Um, I mean, I've had a couple situations where I opened up in, in church. Um, maybe I just mentioned it as part of a comment. And as we often do in church, the teacher says, oh, thanks for your comment. And they move on. Um, and at times that's all right. But um, that's really an opportunity to, I'm sure lots of people have questions. They have experiences to share. Um, and if they're opening up to you, they, they want you to engage. Um, and it really shows that you care about them, that you're interested, that you, you want to listen, you want to learn from them and, um, you're better able to love them and their love for you grows as well. You kind of struck a nerve with me on that one. I remember going to some training and I really tried to think about this, that as a teacher, often we're so programmed to get through the content, the material, and there's a lot of material to get through that the questions are sort of, they're not built on each other. Individual questions don't build on the last question. The teacher doesn't build on a question an answer that's provided. But then if you get these really vulnerable comments like sharing your sexual orientation in the middle of Release Society or Sunday School or Elders Quorum, I think it takes a teacher to sort of listen and say, okay, something magical happened here or something incredibly vulnerable here, I am the teacher, and what is, would it, and just be open to the spirit of impressions, it may be that you do a complete, you know, pivot from the content in front of you, and as you're praying before this lesson, to do what's right, and just build on that comment. If someone's come out with their sexual orientation as some, you know, the first thing I think the teacher can do is validate the courage of that person or ask for being vulnerable. That includes anybody that's in vulnerable anytime is just pause and say, thank you for the courage to be vulnerable. Because um, I think that shares, creates a culture in the classroom that other people can be vulnerable if the teacher responds that way. And then I think it would be good to get the person to keep talking and maybe say, well, tell us more. Why did you feel impressed to share that now? Or what can we do to support you? And the lesson may never, you may never get back to the lesson, but it may just be the very thing that the culture or the individual people of that quorum or release society or class needed. Um, it's just an encouragement for teachers to be sensitive enough. This, I'm in a ward where we have kind of PowerPoint presentations now in Elders Quorum and Sunday School, and that is really good. But if you've got 30 or 40 slides and you've got 30 or 40 minutes, you might be sort of built in that I've got to get through all my slides versus having the flexibility to sort of pivot and just not get through all the slides. And that might be the right thing to do. I don't know if you've got any more thoughts on that. No, I think you really hit the nail on the head there. I've um, actually, I've talked to this about this with um, my grandparents, especially, and that was their responses. How do we, how do we help teachers? Um, manage these these comments and really um have a dialogue with the classroom 
Um, and so I think you had some great points. Another thought, listeners, is when someone asks a question about church history, a kind of a vulnerable question like, you know, some of these more difficult subjects in our church history, I think as a teacher, you could provide a quick answer, but I think that may dis- diminish the, the complexity of the question and um, may kind of mute the person from asking that qu- type of a question or others in the classroom. And I found one of the things that you might do is actually ask the person asking the question what they feel the answer is, because mm-hmm. often they have spent a lot of time thinking about this question. And even though their positioning is a question of the teacher, they may have a really thoughtful answer or a hypothesis. Or a, and I think it's a great style of teaching is to, is to, if you feel the spirit, to move you that way and then build off of their answer to their very own question and ask maybe for other responses from the classroom. And I think that one of the things that you're doing there is creating a real feel of, of belonging for that person and validating how they feel and creating a culture that these type of questions are really needed. That's a tangent subject um, that I've been thinking about on my morning walks. So thanks for kind of bringing it up, Brooke. Um, here's a great question. Would you change your orientation if you could? Um. So I don't have a direct answer to that question, um, but the first time that I came out in church, um, it was in um, my the ward I was attending, and I knew a lot of the people, so I felt comfortable. Um, and the lesson was on um, trials and the reason that we have them and how we can grow from them. And I felt very prompted to share something, and I didn't know what it was until everyone was looking at me waiting for me to respond um and i just shared that i have depression i have anxiety i've been married i've had that marriage annulled um i'm a lesbian i'm at byu and i've had a lot of experiences that are maybe just a little bit outside of the norm and the best part about them is that I think because of them, I can't judge. Um, my patriarchal blessing mentions that I'll be able to see things from the perspective of others. And I always thought, oh, what a great blessing. Um, and as I go through life, sometimes I think, oh, what an awful curse. <laughs> um, because God just doesn't give us perspective. He gives us experience. Um, and that experience has really helped me to to understand other people, um, even if it's not the same experiences, I recognize that everyone has their own journey. Um, and so it's hard for me to judge someone else's journey. And it's allowed me to have better relationships um, with people, with doctrines. Um, and so back to your question, um, and this might need some explanation. If no one else in the world was gay or lesbian or same-sex attracted, however you want to say it, um, maybe I'd change my orientation. Maybe I'd want to be straight and have a family. But as long as there's one other person who is not straight, I wouldn't change because someone needs to be a voice and I would hate for anyone to be alone in that community. And as long as that community exists, we have things to learn. 
Really thoughtful answer. That was an answer that wasn't about you, but it's about your ability to use your baptisms and covenants to help others, to mourn, bear, and comfort. I was thinking, I try not to talk too much in these podcast listeners, but I was thinking about creating Zion. I've been thinking a lot about that. And I was also thinking about the covenant path, which I support and try to walk. One of the cultural challenges, potentially, the covenant path is it feels very individualistic, like I'm on my covenant path and you're on your covenant path and <laughs> you work out your salvation, I'll work out my salvation. And there's these checkpoints in the covenant path. And I, I want to be clear, I support the doctrine of the covenant path, but creating Zion to me is this interdependency on each other and bear, mourn, and comfort and sort of um, our hearts are knit together as one that I think is in Mosiah 18. And when you talk like that, I think of creating Zion, Brooke, and I think of the need for, especially in COVID and post-COVID, and we need the connection of, of fellow people in our lives sort of walking with us. And I can't just work out my salvation on my own. Part of your story is all the people that have come into your life that have helped you, but I know that part of the story that... There's a lot of people that could probably be on the podcast right now. Oh, I'm sure. And the work that she's done to help them. And to me, that is, and so your answer about I would be straight if there were no others, if everybody else is straight, but since there's not, I want to be, I'm glad who I am because I can help and support other people that aren't straight. And that was just born out of love for your fellow human beings. Yeah. When I um, was first deciding how much to come out, how much to say, um, I mean, obviously it's been a journey from when I first told my parents in the psych ward to being on a podcast and writing a book and um, my whole ward knows. Um, I, I got a blessing and God told me that he was pleased with me for speaking out. Um, and I was kind of shocked and comforted because up until that point, I wasn't really sure how God felt about me being so open, but also how he felt about me and my orientation, period. Um, and sometimes I'm still not sure what he plans to do with it <laughs> um, and what it'll mean. But um, having that confirmation that God wants us to, to share um, really helped me. And it was around that time that I was back at home and I'd, I'd mentioned in my blog post that I was lesbian. Um, and, um, one of my mom's friends and my home ward came up to me and she says, Brooke, you need to write a book. And it was the first time that it really hit me that someone else wanted to understand, um, and that I had something to share. Um, and that was very validating. Um, and so, yeah, it's definitely to help other people and also it's it validates me to be able to share so thank you for this opportunity um in what ways do you think your story is unique from other people but can offer some solidarity um in some ways i hope my story is unique because i don't wish all of my experiences on anyone um and um i'm gonna assume that having a short marriage and annulment is somewhat unique. 
Um, but just lately I started, um, reading more and listening more to other people's experiences. Um, and I mentioned at the beginning that part of coming out, part of what made it hard was that I wasn't certain I was lesbian and I wanted like a very black and white yes and no answer. Um, but reading through others' experiences of them realizing they were gay or realizing they were lesbian um, really helped me to see myself more clearly and to accept who I was and to accept that community. Um, but my hope from my story is one that people can um, be willing to examine the church for its doctrine and for its culture. And when they have struggles with either of those, to be able to see the difference um, and to be able to focus on their personal relationships um, with God and with whoever's close enough to them to offer that support. And I hope that as people come out, they'll find that support as I did. Um, because I think as, as we are more open and we're willing to share more that um, not only will we be able to find communities, but we'll be able to create them. Um, Richard, you mentioned um, building Zion and gathering. Um, and it's helped me so much to be open and to find other people who are willing to do that and people who are willing to accept that when I am open. Um, and I just hope to see a lot more of that. It's a great podcast. You've got a great heart and a great vision and great skills and great feeling about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is there, I ask you some more questions that came to mind. Absolutely. Sometimes culturally, I think we accept gay men as authentic quicker than we accept lesbian women. <laughs> um, and I don't know why. And I don't think the science sort of support, I think the science that I've read sort of supports the idea that it's kind of hardwired in you, sexual orientation for men and women. Um, but it seems like women sometimes have to are a little less sure about this or sort of are under little suspicion if they come out as lesbian versus men being gay um i i don't know if you felt any of that or if you felt any of that how you'd address that i've definitely felt that um and i think one way that i felt it the strongest is just looking for um examples or figures to emulate um it's hard to find a very openly um, lesbian person in the church, um, someone to really look up to. Um, and I know we have a few gay examples, not, not a lot, but definitely more than there are for women. And I think that can help um, that they have so many examples. It's easier for them to come out. I wish I had a good answer to why exactly that is, um, why it's more authentic for them and i don't <laughs> and i don't either and um at times someone will go down my podcast list and we have a lot more men on the podcast than women when we do lgbtq and and it's a fair question why i don't have more women and so i'm doubly glad you're here brooke because i would guess there's just as many um LGBTQ women, I, I can't really say use those acronyms in women, queer women and queer men um, in reality. 
And I don't know that. And that's maybe the point of other research and other understanding. But I do believe that obviously you're deeply authentic in your sexual orientation. And we shouldn't sit on the sidelines and sort of question this about you and wonder if somehow you're going through a phase or some dots didn't connect the right way and you're kind of in a confused phase. I would just pray and hope that, and I think you've done a good job, that this is who you are. And um, and we should support you versus sort of look over your shoulder and question this about you. And um, and I even hate to bring that vocabulary up because it could be triggering to you or to our listeners. But I've learned we just listen to people's stories and support them, and they know best who they are. And it's not our job to second guess how they feel. Um, talk about this marriage because some people will get a personal revelation from God about decisions they're going to make, and they make those decisions, a job decision, a moving decision, a getting married decision, going on a mission decision, really big decisions. Um, And then the decision sort of goes sideways. An annulment would be a good example of going sideways. And then you wonder, obviously, and you've kind of mentioned this, where was God? And was I misinterpreting his answer? Or did I get the correct answer? No, I knew this was going to happen. And it can generate a faith crisis. It can generate anger, rightly so. Just any thoughts about where was God? And this is you sort of answering the question for others that have had these sort of experiences, how you would answer that question for them and reconcile as much as possible. Um, so I did feel some... Um, guidance or promptings to um, pursue the relationship that I was in with my husband. Um, I never got very direct answers and revelation has never been very direct for me. Um, So I didn't quite expect it. Um, With most of the big decisions in my life, I feel like God has just kind of said, whatever you want, go for it. And I'll let you know if it was wrong. (laughs) Um, And so as I was getting towards marriage, though, I had a lot of fears because um, my fiance's parents men, um, noticed when we were living with them that we weren't very physical. Um, and I was absolutely terrified of intimacy. I had no desire for it. And I thought, you know, is this normal? Is this, does everyone get this afraid? Um, and so I asked my dad for a blessing the night before my marriage. And I told him, Dad, I'm so scared. If God doesn't tell me to do this, I don't know if I will. And um, it's, I never wrote down the blessing and I wish I did. But what I got from it was um, God said, you know, yes, marry your husband and there will be struggles, but you can have a happy, eternal relationship. And I went, okay. Um, And so we did. And he was a wonderful man. And there were definitely moments we enjoyed. Um, But ultimately, there were some things that were hard for us. And intimacy was one of them. Um, For me, (laughs) especially. And um, that was ultimately the reason that we decided to get the annulment. But I mentioned I ended up in the psych ward. And part of it was I just, I couldn't deal with, with the stress of trying to 
manifest my love in this physical way that was so unnatural for me. And um, when I was in the psych ward, I remember praying and just saying, you know, God, I, I love my husband. I want this to work. I know you promised it could. I don't know how to try harder. Is there any other way? And the next day was when my husband called me to say that he had been praying and he felt that we should get an annulment. Um, and it was hard because um, he had been so supportive and um, wanting so hard to try to make it work that um, I think he was as shocked as I was um, by that revelation. Um, and so in some ways, the annulment, I think, was directed by God and was a blessing for us, um, even if it was the cause of later anger and misunderstanding. Um, and afterwards, I definitely have had moments where I thought, you know, what if I tried harder to, to like a guy, to, to make it work? Um, but I mean, when I talk to friends in heterosexual relationships, yeah, there's things you have to compromise. They have to work, but they're not, it's not effort to love a person <laughs> and it shouldn't be. Um, and so that was validating in a lot of ways. Um, sometimes I still wonder, you know, did I ruin God's plan by not getting married? Um, because he made that promise. It's in my patriarchal blessing. It's what I always hoped for. Um, and I still wonder that sometimes. Um, but I remember one time when I was still very angry at him. And I said, you know, God, you, you promised that I could have this marriage. So did you mess up or did I, that it didn't work? And God didn't answer me directly, but he said, well, first of all, Brooke, let's deal with some of that anger. You are mad at me because you're not married. So I'm going to ask you, do you want to be married? And I had to think really hard and say, under current conditions, no. He said, all right then. So why are you so mad? <laughs> um, and it's helped me realize that God wants what's best for me. He wants me to be happy. And um, I still have yet to figure out how that's all going to work. But I think he knows. It's a really good answer, Brooke. <laughs> a very difficult question. Thank you. And I don't. I look at, I don't know if you look at it this way, but maybe this is just, you know, some people would want to erase, sort of like take timestamps on a recording and just erase this period of your life from both of you. That's maybe that was never meant to be the plan, that this experience was something you and perhaps your husband needed to go through that provides clarity and understanding and perspective and compassion and empathy that will forever make you both better people mm -hmm. on your individual paths. And I don't, I don't know that for sure, but I, the hopeful side of me and the learning side of me and the sort of, this is our, our journey and mortality is a journey to learn and grow. And I don't necessarily look at this as this black mark or this setback or this, it's painful. <laughs> I don't want to dismiss the pain and the anger, yeah. but I wouldn't call it a black mark or a setback or a backwards part of your life or a a deviation. I, I don't want to use these sort of mm -hmm. negative terms right. to describe this period of life. Well, and the thing is, um, I think 
putting aside any blessings that I may have received, any inspiration, any guidance, um, I think it would have happened anyway. Um, I mean, I mentioned that I felt that God was telling me to, to marry my husband, but if not him, I think it would have been someone because one, I felt that I couldn't know that I was lesbian until I had tried a heterosexual relationship. And two, I, I really wanted that so bad that I'm sure I, I would have gone through with it. And so honestly, I think it was a blessing that I got to try it with my husband because as hard as it was for both of us, he was a great man and we both, um, both earned knowledge and experience from it that sometimes I I'd want to trade, but ultimately um, I'm grateful I went through. Just tender subject listeners. I, um, for all of you that are listening to Brooke, that just want to reach your arms through wherever you're listening and give her a big hug and for your courage to talk about really tender stuff that we usually don't talk about. Um, but people need to hear this because there are people walking the same road and they need to know they're not alone and there's other people that have walked this road and the principles and the insights you share, why it may not apply to everybody's story, gives people better tools to write their own story. One of the things this podcast is don't make Brooke's story your story, mm-hmm. but listen to the things that Brooke is sharing as you're writing your own story. And lots of these podcasts combined can help you know best how to make your path forward. Um, other th- other things you'd like to share before we close that come to mind? I don't think so. <laughs> Just want to re-echo what you said. I suppose that um, my story is unique. You hear um, stories of marriages working out for gays and lesbians, and that's a beautiful thing. And um, some people who decide not to, sometimes it doesn't work and all of those, those paths are valid. I agree with that. And, um, I love the principle of self-determination that, you know, we let people self-determine the very best path forward for them. We just love them and support them. And, um, so please check out Brooke's book. That's a tongue twister almost. Um, through my lens, we'll link to it. It's at Barnes and Noble. It just came out in early 2022. I'm grateful for Hannah Syriac who connected us. Hannah's somebody I deeply admire. Um, doing great work within our faith community to connect us with Christ and the important things of a restored gospel. So, um, listeners, thanks for listening and thanks for sharing this podcast. Our listenership continues to grow. Um, substantially, we don't release podcasts quite as frequently. That's a little better for me emotionally because <laughs> um, I want to be emotionally present for these very vulnerable stories. But we're grateful for all the listeners that listen and share, and we just hope this brings us together as the same human family. Um, the goal to me is not unity and sameness. I probably thought sameness was the... Um, sort of the best way that we created unity. Now, in my older years and looking at Christ and his ministry, the goal is unity and diversity. And unity and sameness is the low bar. We're all the same. And the higher bar is unity and diversity. And I think that's how the city of Enoch got translated. And I think that's how we're creating Zion in our congregations. And so courageous people like Brooke that step forward and are authentically sharing her story helps us to create Zion. 
So this is Brooke Anderson and Richard Osler signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs>